0: Hey there, and welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kinsey Dazinski, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified professional coach. And this is a podcast for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. If you're new around here, each week on the podcast, I do a 15 minute teaching, followed by one action step for the week and one prayer for your marriage. And if you're finding this podcast helpful and relevant to your life, I'd invite you to leave a rating and review on iTunes, which basically helps other listeners know whether or not this podcast is one they can trust for marriage education and enrichment. As you know, this episode is titled Sexpectations Part 1, and over the next 15 minutes or so, I'm going to lay out three sexual expectations with which couples come into marriage, especially couples who've grown up with religious backgrounds or within Christian culture but who may have also gleaned messages growing up from pop culture. So every person comes into their marriage with a certain set of expectations for their sex life, whether they're cognizant of it or not. So before we can talk about sexual functioning or technique or gender differences or any of the issues in sex we try to pin down and fix, we really need to start with our belief systems about sex. and not our belief systems in terms of our theology or philosophy of sex, some of which we addressed in episode 38, but our practical theologies or our functional belief systems, meaning the thoughts and expectations that influence our actual way of being in regard to our sexuality or our actual behavior in regard to our sex lives. Because I found in my work with clients that we could work on changing other things within a couple's sexual context all day long, but until a client or couple works on his or her own sexual beliefs, any change made is merely behavioral and therefore isn't as likely to last. So we will address both the misguided expectations that have unintentionally been created in our culture, as well as expectations that have been more intentionally created through our culture as well. And more of those will be addressed in parts two and three. Now, when I got engaged, I really began to seek out good, trustworthy information on sex because marriage was right around the corner. And growing up in the church and on the back end of the purity movement, I didn't have Christian mentors who were comfortable to talk me through the questions I had or who were willing to start the real conversations Evan and I needed to have before marriage nor did I necessarily know the right people to ask or the right places to look. And so I looked to my newlywed friends, who were obviously now sex experts. And of course I'm being facetious here, but growing up in Christian culture, all you know is that those who are having sex know more about it than you do. But unsurprisingly, the advice I got was so bad, you guys. Just so bad. I was told things like, don't get your hopes up. Or, if you want to enjoy sex or let go enough to have an orgasm, be sure to drink plenty of wine. I was also told, don't expect to really orgasm. Or, I'm not sure I've had one, I can't really tell you what it's like. And, it's okay to just do it sometimes, but not really get anything out of it. Besides, your husband will need it more than you anyway. And you guys... I know I'm not alone in this advice because I've talked to some of you who shared your own stories. And I do know there are some of you who listen that may not believe what I believe or who haven't grown up in Christian subculture like I did. And so some of this may sound foreign to you, even ridiculous, but this is the real-life lack of sex education for many people. In fact, I'm currently reading a book on female sexuality from a secular but scientific perspective, and she cites women's stories as having said many of the same things that I got growing up. So my goal for today is to correct some of these false assumptions or sexpectations, as I've been calling them, in hopes that one, you'll recognize the ones you've unknowingly been believing and functioning from, and two, you'll decide to consciously challenge the beliefs that are holding you back from experiencing the gift of sex as it was meant to be experienced. Without further ado, sex expectation number one. Waiting for marriage to have sex equals mind-blowing sex in marriage. There's a large segment of the Christian population that, through various messages, came to believe that God would somehow mysteriously reward those who waited until marriage to have sex. Like, magically, someone could go from not having sex to having amazing sex as soon as he or she puts a ring on it. And I think many of us got here through well-intentioned messages, like, wait to have sex, it's so worth it, or God blesses those who are obedient to his commands, right? But those who grew up hearing those things and who abstained from sex before marriage made a lot of assumptions that had no basis in truth or reality. Like, waiting to have sex will be worth the amazing sex I'll have later in marriage. Or, God will bless me in the way I think is best, obviously through incredible sex. Because that's how that works, right? And as a result, individuals who receive these messages then grow up without ever having anyone correct these assumptions or having anyone educate them on what healthy sexuality looks like before and after marriage. And so what do you end up with? A lot of disappointed Christian couples on their wedding night, when they find out the hard way that they've bought into an illusion. But anyone who's had sex knows that this is not the way your first time goes. Sure, it can be amazing on an emotional or spiritual level from the get-go, But even then, those things both deepen and get better in time. So the reality is, waiting to have sex until marriage is God's design for marriage. But honeymoon sex, while it can be sweet in its own right, is literally just the beginning and in no way indicative of the rest of your sex life together. And I really want some of you to hear me say that, because if you're struggling in your sex life or you've been duped by this belief, there are professionals who can help, and I want you to know there is hope for your future and for the future of your sex life. Number two, I will be a sex sexpert by the end of my honeymoon. Okay, again, along with the first unrealistic expectation, I think some couples or individuals believe that because they've read up or talked to friends or learned from culture in some way, that they will be pros at sex by the end of the honeymoon. And I know not everyone believes this, but some do, because in their minds, they're going to have sex as many times as possible on their honeymoon, and surely 20 times equals expert status, right? Now, obviously I'm being sarcastic here, but think about how ridiculous that expectation is, even that you would be an expert after six months or a year. That would be like me going to school for years and practicing one week of therapy, And considering that sufficient, considering myself an expert in my field, that would be delusional, right? When therapy is an art and a science that can only be mastered by practicing, receiving feedback, and improving your skills over years of practice. And it's no different in sex. Practice makes progress, but not without giving and receiving feedback from each other, and not without continuing to grow sexually, as individuals and as a couple over time. When you consider that the standard for expertise is 10,000 hours of practice, and according to several surveys, couples report their best sex happening in their 40s, I want you to consider your sexual expertise with your spouse as a developmental task to continue working on and growing in throughout the rest of your lives together. And number three, my spouse should be a perfect lover all on his or her own. Okay, let me speak to the ladies here for a moment. If I had a dollar for every time a wife says in casual conversation, he doesn't pick up on my clues, or he should know what I want without me having to say it, or I want him to want to do x, y, or z for me, I would be set. I get feeling this way, I do. But what I don't get is once you realize the nonverbals are not working, why do you insist on not changing? Time after time, talk after talk with your husband. I know I'm being more direct here than usual, but you guys know my heart and I know you can handle it. So let me put it frankly, and your husband will love this part, by the way. The first few times you feel disappointed that your husband didn't pick up on your nonverbal cues, or realize when you were initiating, or when you feel frustrated that he couldn't read your mind about where you wanted to be touched or how you wanted to be pleasured, that's all right. That's normal. It's just a misunderstanding or miscommunication or a lack of consideration for gender differences, right? But beyond that, your disappointment is your responsibility. And I'm imagining some of you saying right now, Kinsey, what are you even saying? But here's the deal. At that point, your disappointment is a function of your belief system, not of you having a terrible and inconsiderate husband who doesn't love you. When you choose not to communicate your needs and wants verbally, then your recurring disappointment is not your husband's fault. It's a result of your own beliefs or false expectations that my husband should know how I want to be loved and desired and touched without me having to tell or teach him. And without getting into cognitive distortions or how they affect our mental health, just hear me out. How would your sex life improve if you were to replace this expectation with a new thought? That the best way for me to feel satisfied in my sex life and in my spouse as a lover is not to keep asking my spouse to morph into a mind reader but to learn to communicate what I need and want sexually and to grow myself when this feels uncomfortable. And again, without going too deep down another rabbit trail, this could actually be the problem, right? That you don't know your own body or sexuality enough to communicate it and that's a whole nother issue for another time and that's okay. But if you were to think this way, that the best way for me to feel satisfied is to learn to communicate what I need and want, how would this change things? All right, ladies, thanks for hanging in. Now for the men's turn. Based on conversations I've had with men, including my husband, I think the caution spot with this third expectation is not that men have a fantasy of my wife will be a perfect lover so much as a fantasy of my wife will be the perfect seductress or sexual initiator. And oftentimes, this expectation comes from what's portrayed in the movies. But it may be an unrealistic expectation to have of your wife, especially as you start your marriage, because without diving deeply into this topic, it's important to understand that your wife may be coming into marriage with significantly less understanding of her body, and of her sexuality than you have of your own. I say this not to insult the ladies who are in touch with their bodies and sexuality, but simply to point to one main difference. Men, your primary sex organ is located externally, meaning you don't really have an option when it comes to learning how your body works or understanding your sexuality. Whereas your wife's primary sex organ is located mostly internally, meaning her sexuality and the way her body functions isn't as easily observable as yours. What this means is, even if women come to marriage with a solid understanding of themselves, they've still likely had less experience with their own sexuality than men have, not to mention the lack of education on female sexuality in our culture. Therefore, as I hope you're beginning to understand, it may not be fair to expect her to be as in tune with her desire as you are or to initiate in the same way you do, right? And ladies, as you hear this, this is not an excuse not to grow in those things. But for now, men, what I want you to hear me say is the more grace, compassion, and patience you're willing to give your wife and meet her where she is, the greater your chances will be later on of growing together in sexual maturity, which always leads to even more fun than you're already having together. All right, that's all for now. I hope this episode has been helpful to you. Your action step for today is to consider which of these three expectations, or any variation of them, have you bought into. And you know me, I'm always wanting you to grow introspectively and to connect more deeply. So once you identify these things you've believed, get them out in the open and talk about them with your spouse. And as a reminder, I am on a six-week social media fast for Lent, so I'm not on Instagram, I'm not on Facebook. So if this series is resonating for you, I would love it if you would share it on social media. Share it with your friends or send it via text to people you care about or who you know would also benefit from this. And my prayer for you this week is that in every sexual conversation and experience with your spouse, that you would begin to take every thought captive and make it obedient to God, that he would be glorified, not only behaviorally, but in your heart and mind as well. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Love is not a battle Love is not a bond Love is just as fragile